There's no way you can get a heart for transplant unless this is what happens to the donor. The donor has to be killed. It has to be murder because it's not legal. And yet it's accepted to be done. And certainly unpaired vital organs like the heart or the whole liver there's no way to get those organs unless they get them from a living person. Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigalov, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigaloff was either off-duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigaloff was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigaloff. All right, well, thank you for joining me again. I first want to start off by th- saying thank you to all of my Patreon supporters. I've got Shell Pace at the $50 level. At the $2020 level, I've got Sam and Angela Shelke. At the Plandemic Reprimando level, at $17.76, we have Ty, Charles, Tinfoil, Stanley, Dr. Anna, who is a guest on this show, Frank, and we have a new one, Brian. Thank you, Brian. At the self-made $10 level, we have Kevin. At the Refine Not Burned $5 tier, there's Linda, Emmy, Joe, Pat and Bev, PJ, Rebecca, Marcus, Elizabeth, Dawn, Jennifer, and at the Courage is Contagious $1 level, Amanda, Jay, Spetsnasty, Darrell, Susan, BB King, who is a guest on the show, and Rick. Thank you so much for all of your support. I greatly appreciate any monetary support, any prayers, any donations that the Give, Send, Go. Today I have a very special guest, Dr. Paul Byrne. Dr. Paul Byrne is a pioneer in neonatology. He helped develop the ventilation system for when we intubate children, he helped develop that that we're still using today. In 1963 is when he helped develop that. Sir, thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank you for inviting me. It, it's an honor to be with you. And yes, I was instrumental in helping develop the ventilator, but the the other thing I did that can be of interest to to you and your listeners is that I worked with the engineers from the astronaut program, and we we took the the blood pressure cuff from the finger of the astronaut and moved it up to the arm of the premature, and we were the ones that invented a method to take blood pressure on premature babies, and so I started in '63. I would say that we didn't really make good progress until about 1970. When I started in 63, every baby three pounds and four ounces that had trouble with breathing died. It was 100% mortality. And, and of course, now many, all of, many of those babies now survive. The ventilator is interesting because it had to be very precise and very sensitive to function on the two-pound baby. So once it was invented for the two-pound baby, it was shown to be effective at really at all ages and stages of ventilator. So able to help people who who get in touch with me that have difficulties with the breathing and the ventilator and the like, and it's it's almost like my the back of my hand that. that that I have a grasp on that use of the ventilator. 
Anyway, it was it, it was a, a time when I wasn't the only one. Obviously, there were m multiple people in the world re realizing how important it was to de develop ways to treat prematurely born babies. So we started at Cardinal Glennon Hospital. The significant is that we were the ones that that identified the need in parental nutrition for babies, the need for magnesium, the need for zinc and 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 so and the need for copper so those those elements are in the in parental nutrition really at all ages and stages but if you can imagine that what would what it was like to have tiny little babies and measure every bit of intake and output and, and every bit of urine every bit of stool but we we did all that in in the development of the care of premature babies. And then what happened in my life is that Joseph was born and he came under my care. His mother always insisted that he could not have been any more than 20 weeks gestation. He was on a ventilator for several weeks and he wouldn't do anything. He wouldn't move when we would try to stimulate him. He wouldn't attempt to breathe at all. And so a brainwave test was done. And the brainwave, the EEG, was interpreted as consistent with cerebral death. So that that's what's written on his chart. So I asked the neurologist, yeah, what is this? Death on on Joseph's chart. Obviously, De Joseph was not dead. And he said, well, just get another one. And we did in two days. It was unchanged from the previous one. So now I ask him, well, what do we do now? He said, well, in some places they turn off the ventilator. I said, well, I don't do that. I said, I treat babies. Some live, some die. I continued to treat Joseph. He did get off the ventilator. Later, when he went to school, he got good grades. He ran track. He played baseball. Eventually, he married. But because of Joseph, I... I began to investigate this matter of brain death. Now, I have to tell you that I didn't start immediately, but by the time Joseph got to be a few months old and at home, and even though his EEGs were always so so terrible, I had a hard time even looking at them because they, they were so abnormal, but he was doing okay, so, so we continued to treat him. But then it was a matter of what is this thing about brain death? And I think that those in the medical field, or at least the objective medical field, that have been paying attention to what's gone, going on with COVID, it was in some ways a similar kind of thing as to what would ha happen with brain death. The, the same as COVID came along and then there were a lot of people saying we should do things. Well, what happened in brain death is that they did a heart transplant in South Africa. Dr. Christian Bernard did a heart transplant December the 1st, 1967. And there was a lot of notoriety throughout the world, heart transplant done successfully. Well, how about the second heart transplant? 
it was done three days later in Brooklyn, New York. And what they did is they cut the beating heart out of a three-day-old baby who had a problem with his brain and transplanted it into an 18-day-old baby who had a problem with his heart. And at the end of those procedures, both babies were dead. And and it was illegal. It was immoral. And so how did they solve the problem? They set up a, a committee at Harvard. You know, they, they solved the problem with a committee. They, they didn't do like sometimes we would think that happens in medicine, that there's some investigation done on dogs or cats or rats or whatever. And then information gathered on a few number of patients. What they did is they set up a committee and the committee invented brain death. They titled the article in the Journal of the American Medical Association, A Definition of Irreversible Coma. We can't, when you're in coma, you're not dead. And, and yet that's, that's how it started. And then they said, well, why did they have to have this? And they said, well, if they don't have it, they won't be able to get organs for transplantation. And and they wrote that in there. They also said that they, if you continue to treat patients, the intensive care units will get crowded. And, and of course, I can tell you I know something about intensive care units getting crowded in the sense that when I started at Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital, I had an eight eight bed unit and by the time I left there about 20 years later we had a 55 bed unit so that when we got more patients to take care of we found more ways to take care of them when we get got the first ventilator functioning we then had to get the second one also and we did like that and worked that way but what that that the Harvard committee said they had to have this so especially to get organs for transplantation well if you look at that article in the journal of the American Medical Association in 1968 they didn't do any studies on dogs or cats or rats. They didn't collect any patient data. They have only one reference to it, and that reference was to an allocution by Pope Pius XII. And they quoted only one part of Pope Pius XII, but they ignored the, the paragraph that said that, that Pope Pius said, we are to pre presume that human life continues as long as vital functions are present, even when supported by artificial means. And and so that was the only reference, but then they went on and, and started to use this thing for brain death to get organs. And that was in 68. And the next significant article that was published was in 1971, and it became known as the Minnesota Criteria. And, and if you look at that article and you look at it, it says a study of 25 patients. And then you go read it, and they did EEG on only nine, nine of the 25. So it really wasn't a study on 25, it was a study on nine. And then if you look at that, two of the nine still had EEG activity. And then the conclusion of the article was no longer is it required to do 
brainwave testing before you make a declaration of brain death. And with with that, EEG was essentially stricken. It, it still gets done a lot of times, but there, the requirement of it certainly is not there in the Minnesota criteria. And it really wasn't there in the Harvard criteria either. And so many people think that brain death means flat brainwaves when in fact they aren't even required to do brainwave testing. And so so you see up until now we we don't have basic science studies we 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 don't have studies on patients that would be acceptable for any other kind of scientific advancement so then the largest study that's in the literature was was done and it was a report on 500 patients and of those 5 500 the first thing is that 44 of them did not die and then those who did did die, they did autopsy on the brain in about half of them, 225, and 10% had no pathology in the brain. Now, and so th- that's the science behind brain death. There is no science that's a, that would be acceptable. But you see what what it is while they're there, and we heard a lot of in the COVID thing about data and science and all that stuff. In some ways, when I would hear those things, I knew what happened in brain death, and it was very similar that that they they claimed science, but it really wasn't science. I'm not even sure it was pseudoscience in brain death, and they d- just invented it to get organs for for transplantation and then when you talk about you know get, getting organs for transplantation and incidentally there's really no science that in brain death that's of significance except what i've just told you but when you when I talk about organs for transplantation they have to be healthy organs and people know what a cadaver is and you don't have to be a super genius to know that you probably aren't going to get much for transplantation from a cadaver from a dead body and what happens in in the life of all of us we we get that first driver's license and then we continue to get the driver's license re, re renewed and they asked the question do you want to be an organ donor and when i gave gave a talk a few year a few weeks ago one of the young men 15 years old says well in driver's ed i had somebody come in and tell us the 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 advance the 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 use of organ transplants and the benefits of organ transplants well, they didn't tell anybody that they didn't tell them. And when people ask that question, they're not given any information about organ transplantation. But every organ that's transplanted is a healthy organ. And where do you get healthy organs? You get them from living persons. And 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 so when people say yes to being an organ donor, they have no idea. They they. They have some idea that says, well, if I'm dead, so what? Take my organs, that kind of thing. And those kind of thoughts are there, but then it is important and it's essential that they learn what this is all about. And every time a heart 
transplant is done, the the procedure begins. The chest is is open, not unlike every kind of heart heart operation that they do, but the chest is wide open. They do what's necessary to identify the blood vessels and to get them prepared to put them in some someone else. And then the transplant surgeon stops the beating heart. The transplant surgeon then cuts out that heart was just beating and puts it into someone else. There's no way you can get a heart for transplant unless this is what happens to the donor. The donor has has to be killed. It has to be murder because it's not legal, and yet it's accepted to be done. And so certainly unpaired vital organs like the heart or the whole liver there's no way to get those organs unless they get them from a living person. And and when you get into organ transplants, they do talk about living donors, but they don't do them quite so much as they used to, where they take a, a kidney, one of two kidneys, or they take a part of the liver and transplant it. Obviously, any of us that know anything about the operations on the abdomen and the liver and what how what it's like know that it's not a, a simple procedure to to get that liver out and then transplant part of it to someone else but all, all of these things have to do with organ transplantation and the the people have to know that there's uh, essentially no way that you can get an organ for transplantation from a cadaver. And the large ma majority of organs for transplantation come after the declaration of brain death. <clears throat> well, what's the declaration of brain death all about? Well, it's it's basically amounts to looking at three parts of the brain. That is, whether the person doesn't respond is one of the ways, and no response. They say it means coma, but that's really not what it means. It means no response. And then they call it unconscious, but it's not necessarily a lack of consciousness. It's a lack of response. And then they do, they look at brainstem reflexes and the brainstem reflexes that they look at, look at are primarily those that have to do with the eye, the ear, the cough, the gag. So they, they, they shine a light in the eye to see if the pupil responds. They check for a blink. They put ice water in the ear to see if there's movement of the eye and then check for cough or gag. So that they evaluate five or six of the 14 brainstem reflexes. And then the, the third part of declaration of brain death ha has to do with what is called an apnea test. But it's not simply a test. It's a procedure. A test, you know, if, if we're going to get a blood test, we go in and some somebody, uh, they put a tourniquet on our arm and take the blood for test. 
if we're going to get a chest x-ray, we go to a place where they do chest x-rays. We, we put our shoulders up. They say, take a deep breath and hold it. And then they make the image. So it's, it's all done in a very simple way. But that's not what happens in the, in the apnea test. It's a procedure where they take a patient who is on a ventilator. Their life is being supported by a ventilator and they they do things like make sure about that they get high amounts of oxygen they do blood gases they take away the ventilator they make observations on the patient and 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 they take away the ventilator for 10 minutes the patient's on a ventilator getting a breath every five seconds seconds or so 20 times a minute and they take it away they take it away and and then what watch the patient and they sometimes the, their blood pressure will go down sometimes their the, the heart will even stop and they the apnea test is a test where even if they 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 do things like give extra oxygen what happens in the apnea test they they accumulate carbon dioxide. So the carbon dioxide goes up. It doesn't go up in a little bit. Normally, healthy people, they keep their carbon dioxide pretty much between 25 and 45 at the very most, that kind of thing, the extremes of it. I I should say 35 to 45, you know, plus or minus 5 from 40. What do they do in the procedure of the apnea test? They make the carbon dioxide go to 60 go to 60 and and they and everybody who knows much about intracranial pressure knows that if you hyperventilate you give extra breaths the carbon the intracranial pressure goes down when the carbon dioxide increases who would think that the intracranial pressure would do anything except go up and if you're already in already dealing with a patient that has something wrong with the brain. The question is, will that stimulus have the same effect as it would be if somebody was healthy? And and then why would they want to do this? And the current patient that, that, that I'm helping in is, is a, a, a young man who overdosed on alcohol and was treated in an emergency room with a ventilator for 24 hours and then was sent home. Who ever heard of doing such a thing? Sent sent him home after getting off the ventilator in, in 24 hours. And what do you think happened at home? In about another 24 hours, he quit breathing again. So then he he gets in the system and and you have, have to know that his organs are worth between one and five million dollars to the transplant industry. And 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 of course they have designated requesters who get get the permission to to take the organs and 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 so all of that falls into place and they say well they never asked for organs and until they do that procedure of the apnea test or the evaluation for 
brain death, but everybody on the team knows what all of that's all about, no matter what anybody is saying to the relatives or not saying to to the relatives. And so what happened with this with, with this boy is they they did their evaluation for for brain death and it included put ice water in the ear, incidentally I'm a, a, a swimmer, so I get water in my ear every now and then, and when it goes in there, even ordinary swimming pool water feels very cold under those circumstances, so you can just about imagine what putting ice water in the ear is. Well, what happened was this boy had some movement of his eye. One of the doctors saw nystagmus. And and so when do I get involved? When they want to do a, another test for evaluating brain brain function. When in fact he he was just critically ill and and he needs to get treated. He doesn't need another test. And so what does the Academy of Neurology say? Well, if you get a, any kind of response it's okay to do another one. And so the, the, the test gets repeated until eventually they don't get a response and then they can declare somebody brain dead. Everybody who's declared brain dead is a living person. Brain death has n nothing to do with, with death. In fact, the matter is, it's brainwashing. You give somebody two nouns like brain and like death, and the mind goes toward the more serious, the more critical kind of thing. And so brain brain death is is brainwashing. Everybody who's called brain dead has a beating heart, circulation, re respiration. They digest food. They put out urine. And actually, a study at Johns Hopkins University in 10 patients with the declaration of brain death, in all 10 of them, when they cut them to take take their heart for transplant and all 10 of them, the heart rate went up and the blood pressure went up. Now, would that happen in a cadaver? No way. And so these things are going on. It's it's big business. The, it, it's big business and, uh, and $48 billion was billed in 2020 for organ transplants, of which $6 billion went to doctors. Do you have any thoughts or questions?
that's it it is and and all of those things that that sorry about that that all of those things that you and I have said are are accurate and and the people need to know about them but how do they find out about it and then just speaking of your your of your own self if you said yes on your ever that is on your record you can go back and 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 get it taken off or not put it on the next time but the studies have shown that unless you have a document of refusal they can still find that out someplace and say well at one time he wanted to give organs and obviously in, in the condition he's in those who are around him can speak for him he's a, a kind person a generous person and 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 so under the these circumstances because he already said he, he, that kind of thing and that's what 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 goes on and so incidentally the laws that are involved here are the uniform determination of death act and the uniform anatomical gift act and the U uniform anatomical gift act spells out that that if you don't want to be an organ donor you have to have a document of refusal and there are very few places that give you a way to have a document of, of refusal we do send out out cards when we're contacted at lifeguardianfoundation.org. We, ha we have cards that, that people can sign and and they're they're very important because they they sign them and they they say what's the first thing it says? It says I want to be treated and then I want everything done to protect and preserve my life and don't do anything to hasten my death or shorten my life and don't do an apnea test that apnea test that I told you about it's an awful test no one should ever have an apnea test and everybody needs to know say no 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 to the apnea test everybody has to know that and so so and no to organ transplantation then the card also gives a way that you can designate someone to speak for you and and designate the first person the second person but that is 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 so important sam because everybody who gets to the age of majority which in most places is 18 before that they look to the parents for for permission to do things and not in like the young boy that i'm telling told you about they look to the parents but then once they get to be 18 that's not what happens so the patient says that I deal with sometimes the mother will be in Texas. The young man, 19 years old, gets in, in, involved in an accident in California. And by the time she gets there, they've already gone to court to get someone to speak for that boy. And and, and it, it's really something what happens in the legal system of, of this. Miranda Lawson in Virginia, a two-year-old girl who choked on popcorn and 
and she had six siblings, but in the court, they would not allow her mother or her father, you know, because obviously there must be something wrong with the mother and father that lets her two-year-old child choke on popcorn and wouldn't let any of the brothers or, or sisters, brothers or sister to, to des- be the guardian to designate to speak for her. So what did the court do? The court appointed an, an attorney. Yeah. I, 30-year-old nice lady, but in in the courtroom, the judge would look for her about making making decisions for Miranda, not her father who was there, not her brothers or sister who was there. And when that happens, it's it's just shuddering to see what the system is. So you have to learn about the system. We learned a lot about the the system with COVID, and we we keep learning it because and and they basically showed that they can control us by making us all stay in our house for a period of time but also they they did things like like hastened the production of that in, injection and did not do studies to safeguard the use, use of it and then mandated that some places they had to get that. I mean, I, I go to the, for cardiac rehab, they wouldn't let me go in for cardiac rehab during that time. And then, and so I get taken off the list. And eventually when they start to lift things, they say, well, you don't qualify anymore. And because they have another rule. And then eventually I get back in and, and, and you have to wear a mask to go in. Well, it isn't too long that you look around and the people on the exercise machine don't have the mask on. The nurse will have it on in such a way that it's her nose is exposed, that kind of thing. And then you go in one day and says, you don't need a mask anymore. And that goes on for a month or two months or whatever it is. You go in one day and now you need a mask again. And then what I, even now, even though we don't wear the mask anymore, I, I go past the water fountain and it has a big sign on it saying, don't drink this for whatever way. And it all comes from COVID. They haven't taken the sign down yet, you know, and that's in the, and of course the med- medical system, we learned a lot about it from the COVID, but I already know a lot about it because I've been following these things about brain death and or, organ transplants and for a, a number of years and and the desires of human beings sometimes are the ones that, that take effect and then they they do things like like in 1968 1970 when that was going on where were the doctors and of course I can ask that same question because I was a doctor at that time. But what was I doing? I was trying to find better ways to take care of babies. And and I trusted the neurologist. I thought the neurologists would be good doctors and would, but and then when I started to study in 1975, I found out the neurologist and the doctors who were involved, and they all weren't neurologists, but the doctors who were in, in, involved didn't do their job. And it wasn't just a neurologist who didn't do their job. The theologian didn't do their job. And the neurologist and theologian still don't do their job. 
and 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 you know preserve the first thing that they should be doing is protecting and preserving the life of the person and the theologian is the same way should be tuned in to protecting and preserving the life of that person but where where are they yes there are some of us that are doing our best but but we are not chairman of departments we're not governors we're not presidents we're not senators and 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 then they while well, they did the thing with 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 the medical world and in in brain death they took over the medical world by getting doctors to accept that someone was dead while their heart was beating and they had circulation respiration digest food put out urine somebody's they were dead it was dumb it was stupid and what did the doctors do they accepted it and what do they do now they still accept it they, they accept it and so the doctors are there where where are the doctors where are the theologians and then what happens the law gets involved and then what happens the legislators get involved and 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 th these things can continue a, a, a patient in Nevada Aiden Halu a 20 year old girl who developed abdominal pain goes to the emergency room and they decide that she might have appendicitis so they do exploratory laparotomy they don't find appendicitis they don't find anything and and she never woke up she never woke up there was nothing wrong with her she never woke up her father was clever enough that when he got on on the scene, he immediately went to court and got to be the guardian. If if he hadn't done that, who knows what would happen? But he did it, so he was the guardian. And then they embark on the the declaration of brain death. And, and what happened? They did EEG recording three times on her, and every time she had EEG activity. But then they decided that that wasn't relevant, and they could declare her brain dead anyway. And 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 so. So, yes, we get involved, and yes, it does get appealed to the Supreme Court in Nevada, and yes, it was a seven to nothing unanimous Supreme Court ruling that they couldn't be convinced that it was the Academy of Neurology guidelines versus the Harvard criteria or some other thing. They sent it back to the lower court. Well, before the lower court could get involved again, Aiden Hulu did die, and, and and so then what happened in Nevada? The legislators got involved and made it so the things that were in, in question with Aiden Hulu won't happen again. They made it so you don't have to ask the relatives to get permission to do that apnea test. They they made it so that the only criteria are the Academy of Neurology guidelines, which which to point out some of them, they don't require that you do tests for hypothalamus. They they say if there is this thing called some reaction, you just can do it again. And they, they don't 
tell you that. They, they just say it can be repeated. And so, and then in Nevada, they put into the law that if any of the relatives bring up questions about this, the, the relatives may be responsible for all medical and legal financial consequences of that. And so they made it so the system is that you you cannot speak up and and there's an attempt to get these kinds of things for all states. The, the Uniform Law Commission in Chicago has been looking at these, these things that have happened in the court, and they want to revise the Uniform Determination of Death Act. The Uniform Determination of Death ought not be revised. It should be repealed, and it should be replaced with a law that will protect and preserve the life of the person. So what do they want to, want to do with the law? The first thing about the brain death law, it, it now the Uniform Determination of Death Act, it says irreversible cessation of all functions of the entire brain, including the brainstem. So what do they want to make that from? They just want to make it that it it's a coma, not those brainstem reflexes, and that apnea test, and that's all. And But you see, the, the, the people think that it is the current law, cessation of all functions of the entire brain, including the brainstem, when in fact it's not. That's how we were able to do something with the cases with Aidan Alou and Israel Stinson and Arya Chakrabarty and, and point out, while the law says cessation of all functions of the entire brain, they don't evaluate, much less anything, whether they know that all functions so pointing that out. So now what do they want to do? They want to revise the law so that the only functions that are relevant are those three that I just told you about. And then what's in the law now is it says irreversible cessation, and they want to change irreversible to permanent. And what permanent means that that they don't do anything to change it. If somebody stops breathing or their heart stops, they deliberately do not resuscitate. And that that's what permanent means versus irreversible. Irreversible is a misleading word in itself because you really only know irreversible in relation to the reverse, the reversible the when it is reversible. It's that kind of thing. It's not empiric. You know, us doctors we can ob observe an absence of function. We can observe dis de destruction, but we cannot observe irreversibility. We can learn some things about it, but you see, it's, it's again, brainwashing because the way it works is that when somebody is dead, when death has occurred, the brain doesn't, the brain is destroyed and, and lots of things are destroyed and they don't function and they won't ever function again. But if you go the other way and observe only the absence of function, the absence of the response of pupil in the eye, or whatever test that you do, you observe only that, they don't even know if the brain is destroyed, much less that the person is dead. So they, they, these 
kinds of things are already deficiencies in the law. And incidentally, we have written about those. We have an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association. We, we have an article in the Gonzaga Law Review that's 85 pages, has 244 footnotes and references to it. So we, we, we have done all that. And who knows who pays attention to us. And it, it, it's important. But for right now, it's important that that you and I talk to each other and the listeners out there must learn that brain death is not death. Brain death means you're alive. And, and what can you do about it? The first thing you have to do is protect yourself and, and, and say no to the apnea test. Protect yourself and get a document of refusal and know that at the license bureau, you, you, yeah, you, you say no to that. And then you not, need to know how they're changing the law and making it w worse, making it even less strict. Is there something, is, is there a law? that would protect the life of the person? And I would say, yes, we have a model's statute. The, the first thing is this, the, the statute is written in the negative. It, it says, no one shall be declared dead unless there is destruction of the circulatory and respiratory systems and the entire brain. And actually, I really think instead of entire brain, it should be nervous system. Now, why system? The the basic unit of biology is the cell, and groups of cells make up tissues, and groups of cells and tissues make up organs, and, and groups of organs and tissues put together to carry out function. Those are called systems. There are three vital systems, the circulatory system, the respiratory system, and the brain, and all of them are necessary. We can substitute for one or the other. But when you put the law to protect the person, you put it in the negative and say, no one shall be declared dead unless there's destruction of the circulatory and respiratory systems and the entire brain that will protect the life of the person. And if, if, you, if we go back to protecting the life of the person which is what it was when I learned medicine. And it is, it, it is in lots of places in the world, but in the laws in the United States, in the medical system, that life is not being protected and it's not being protected for who knows what reason, but I can tell you that it's a big business. The organ transplant business is a big business. $48 billion was billed in 2020 of which $6 billion went to doctors. And doctors are such, you know, they, you know, they do things in this organ, taking things. They said, well, the doctor who's treating can't, can't have anything to do with organ transplantation. How stupid that is. Does somebody think that doctors who are the treating doctors, as opposed to the doctors who take organs, that they don't have coffee together, that they don't play golf together? 
I mean, what what is this that they put things in to, I suppose, to think that you can fool the people? But the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of people that that can understand the difference between life and death. You can take a seven-year-old and take them into an intensive care unit where somebody's on a ventilator, they have normal color of their skin, and they can see on the oscilloscope above the head, I guess they don't call it oscilloscope anymore, but on the scope above their head, you can see beep, beep, beep. The nurse comes in and takes blood pressure. They can look at the the, the urine collecting in the bag and, and ask them, is that alive or dead? And any seven-year-old can tell the difference. And yet we live in a system where they play pretend and they're willing to play pretend so they can get what's immediate, like organs for transplant. I really think if they hadn't gone this route of getting, of, of taking organs from people who weren't dead, an artificial heart would have been invented already. It would have been invented. It's been there's been some that ha- have been used for short periods of time, but there's the, the need for an artificial heart isn't there when you can get a heart from somebody who's not dead. And there are some things that are interesting, Sam, about those that heart or the liver or whatever it is that it's identified. Each one of us has DNA and our DNA is specific and it identifies every cell of our body. It identifies every organ of our body. And incidentally, that DNA that we use to identify that to have that kind of a biochemical identity of our Self, that's there in the first cell already at conception. That 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 person can be identified, and then at conception, nothing is a- added. They, they, there's cell division. There's uh, growth and development. All that happens without you know even before implantation. So it's built in already there at conception in the first cell. And that DNA that's there, unique and unrepeatable in each and every one of us, that's in the heart that's taken for transplantation. And when that heart is taken for transplantation and that heart belongs to that person, if you would just put it in another person, it would be rejected because our our bodies are made so that we reject organs from other people. And so there's much done to make for anti-rejection things in the recipients of the organs. And I'll get more to that, but I want to talk about the DNA of that heart that that identifies the heart from the patient that they take it from, that never changes. And the recipient, it's still the DNA of the re, of the one that they took it from in in that heart. And so the identity is 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 still there. 
they they I, I I lost that one train of thought there because I got off into this one it's when when you try to do too many things at one time it's not always good especially for us men I I think women learn how to do more things at at the same time than we we do but in any event that the, the I, go ahead. you were going to mention oh is it the 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 rejection medications Oh yes! Oh, oh! Thank you! Thank you! Thank you! The re- re- rejection. You see, our body is made to reject the organ from anybody else. Cannot do that, except God does it all the time. Every time a mother is pregnant, she does not reject her baby. The rejection medicine is the the rejection is interfered with in pregnancy. God stops it during pregnancy, and then as soon as the baby is delivered, her mother's immune mechanisms are right back there. Now, many people I can identify how immune mechanisms are different during pregnancy, and and that kind of thing. So you have to be careful with the, as careful as the lady who's pregnant to not get exposed to different things. And because the immune mechanisms are different and that gets interfered with. Incidentally, there's a early pregnancy factor that can be identified already when there's just two cells. And so that anti, uh, that interference with the rejection is probably there right away. And and studies have been done in human beings and, and to identify an early pregnancy factor to identify that the, the, the the mother's pregnant, that there's a a baby there uh, already early on, even before implantation. So, and and it, it's some of those things. There there are some other things that are interesting that get involved that that come out of the transplant industry. One of the things is is that when a mother is pregnant, some of the baby cells get into the mother, and that, that that's called chimerism, and that came out of the transplant industry because they would make a slice of the liver of a of a, a, a woman who had carried a boy baby and periodically you could see male cells and the male cells have been found in multiple places in the body nobody knows what they do female cells are also identified but the they are not so easily distinguished as they are a male cell in in terms of the the mother's female body kind of thing but it comes out of that and 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 more and more things come out of it and in in science what what we really do is verify what god has already done that's what good science does and and yes Doctors have to be scientists, but we also have to have an art to medicine, and we all we need to identify with the specialness of the gifts of a physician. That that we get intelligence, and we and and we study, and and then we have the privilege of helping somebody who is is sick, and and we we aren't 
simply scientists, but where the science is used, it has to be good science. And, 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 and many times the science in medicine is wanting to, uh, to basically start with because each person is unique and unrepeatable. We're not like gun rats where they all look exactly alike and you can do tests on them. Each person is different. So, so the scientific setup is not, not good. And then when you bypass whatever it is that we try to do to protect the person like they did with, with the, the COVID injection, it's it's just shameful how whatever science there is in medicine they they get around it to to make happen what they want to make happen and and, and what did I get today and and article about Gardasil, Gardasil and the COVID vaccine and how it's altering the essentially the immune mechanisms and other parts of of cellular makeup and and, and and you know the Gardasil has been been around for a while now and they they it, it, it's an immunization against against human papillomavirus and it's just shameful and they give it to to all the young people and they don't teach them you know it, it you know sexual activity is between a man and a woman and ideally after they're married and if it's just between one man and one woman there's no disease none you don't need an, an immunization you just need to know what the truth is and then live according to that now i don't want to sound like a goody good cuz not that but but I do want to say that we have an obligation to, under, to find the truth and stand for it and educate the other people. And, and we can't get along with things so easily as the ordinary person. So in, in any event, brain death is not death. There is a difference between life and death. And during life, there's living substance. And the living substance is a unity of the physical and spiritual. And the event at the end of life is called death. And then what you have left after that are the dead remains, the remains without the life, the remains without the soul, and that remains gets manifest as destruction, disintegration, corruption, but it's cl clearly different. And, and when somebody is, is ha having circulation and respiration and digesting food, to say they're dead is stupid. And so, so, and how they did it, I'm not sure. It doesn't make any sense to me. I was a doctor in 68. I didn't start until 75 to get interested. And then it took me about two years to understand the language such that I could at least discuss it. And so I I wouldn't try to imply that everything is is so easy, but the problem that we have is that that the big money 
is in organ transplants and people see somebody who has received a heart or a kidney or a liver or whatever it is and they're doing well so they think everything is okay they don't realize that that when someone gets an organ for transplantation they exchange one set of problems for another set of problems when when in fact like if you just take kidney transplant and I don't want to take anything again say anything against what how sick somebody is or what they need but one of my friends who got sick and got dialysis and he went went there and had another man asked him are you new here and and anyway the man said he had been on dialysis for 35 years Another one said for 40 years. So it, it, it isn't that, that there aren't things that can be done. And if you go the moral way, at least in my own experience by doing what I've done in the development of neonatology and ways to, to treat infants. So if you go the moral way, you make progress much faster than if you go the immoral way. And so I... I would encourage that that people learn the truth and know the truth, stand for the truth, and and the the model statute that I told you about. That's what the the Uniform Law Commission should do. They should reject the Uniform Determination of Death Act, and they should get the model statute that says. No one shall be declared dead unless there is destruction of the circulatory and respiratory systems and the entire brain. And that's the direction we should go in. Sam, do you have any comments, questions? Well, I'm just <clears throat> standing here in shock from still from when you gave the, the story of Joseph. And that was in 1975. So he potentially has grandchildren now. That would not be here. His whole entire lineage uh, you know, I, would not be here if you, let's say, yes. if he would have been entered into that heart study and his heart would have take, been taken out and given to some other little boy. Absolutely. And, and, and it, so, so it's that, that kind of thing. And we can look back on things and put them together as you've just done there. But really, we have to make decisions in terms of what we have today. And and yes, we do know a lot more about life, and we do know a lot more about supporting life. And 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 so to say that when somebody can't defend themselves, it's all right to call them dead while they still have a beating heart circulation. That's wrong. And we have serious things going on in our society. And there, and so all of us have to pray a lot, do the very best we can in terms of our own, our own lives, our own family, our own friends, our own neighbors, our own people who listen to this program. They, they need to know that brain death is not death. Brain death is a lie. It's a lie to get organs for transplantation. And of course, they'll say, oh, no, no, it's not for that at all. It's, it's because of whatever they'll come up with. They're, they 
the main reason that they declare brain death is to get organs for transplantation. And I don't mean to sound unconcerned about somebody who's very sick with a failing liver or failing heart or whatever it is. I'm concerned about them too, but I want to have a way to develop treatments that protect and preserve life and don't take advantage of the unresponsive person on a ventilator. How shameful this 15-year-old boy I'm telling you about how shameful to be to be trying to declare him dead when in fact they should be doing everything they can to help him and the doctors know what to do but you see the driving force is to get organs so they they quickly stop doing what they know to do so they can get organs for transplantation what we've seen in in our history of this country is that they're after they're Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities of darkness in the unseen realm. And that they're trying to destroy our future by with abortion. They, they've been trying to destroy the current future, the, the children who are alive now with this transgender movement. They've been destroying the, the elder population with this COVID movement. And now this this battle of, of killing people and taking their organs and giving them people that, that need them. This has been going on for such a long time, and I had no idea that this was going on. And I want to thank you so much for bringing this to light, because this is so supremely important for for the layperson to understand. Like, don't ever do an apnea test. That would kill anybody. That would cause significant issues for anybody if you were in that situation, if you were paralyzed, unable to breathe, and they just turn your vent off. I mean, it just that's what it is. They're just turning your vent off. Like, you're injured. We, as the medical community, are supposed to be here to help preserve life, but yet we keep taking it time and time again and every time we go deeper into this little rabbit hole of protecting life it seems like we're not doing that we're doing the exact opposite incidentally brain death is not about stopping a ventilator it's about continuing it until it's more convenient to get the to get the recipient of the organ recipient lined up and so they declare them dead but then they keep keep them on the ventilator until they can get everything lined up so that they can when they do take the organs they can get them into somebody else quickly so it's about you know about continuing a ventilator not stopping it yeah okay now the other thing sam i i hope that i hope this helps you in 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 i i surely hope that it doesn't cause you any grief and if i can do anything to help other people or who knows maybe you and i might talk again sometime yes sir thank you so much for coming on i truly appreciate it thank you for your time sam happy to know you i'll send you that article thank I, you i think i have your email address I, I i know i do i i will send you that article that i just got today i think it could be important for you i didn't want to send it before the our interview because i didn't want to make it look too much that it was the article i did mention the gardasil but i'll send you that thank you i get off here all right take care Just a reminder for everyone out there, duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear.
I have a new affiliate, Harvest Right Freeze Dryers. Take a look at the link below and see if it's right for you. It's a great way to store food for you and your family up to 25 years if stored properly.